Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Thanks, Phil. Great to be with you again, and uh, great church, and so much enjoyed last time I was here at the Leadership Day. And it's especially good to be with you, Phil. And you're right, you know, God's just sort of built something between us over those, over that time. Amen. Are you well this morning? Amen. Ready for the Word of God, eh? Now, there's two themes that I'm going to be speaking on today. One is, in in this service, we're going to be looking at restoration. And in the next service, if you can stay for that, we're looking at uh, restoring our destiny. So today's Awaken to Restoration. If you've got your Bible with you then, uh, or an iPad or phone or whatever you use, then you need to be turning around about now to Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 61. We're going to go in those areas in a minute. But we can't have restoration. Uh, we can't have destiny before we've got restoration. We'll come to that in a moment. Incidentally, book one or two, one, you're finding that one or two books with me. When I came to the 360 Leadership Day, many of you, I think about 50 of you actually, had this book here. Uh, which is a kind of overview of 50 years in ministry. That's how long I've been in ministry. And some of the things I've learned, and right from when I was called as a child to be a, a, a leader, a pastor rather, and then right through to the present day. This one's updated uh, up to date. And then also too, I don't think I had this one with me last time. This is a novel. If you've seen some of the reviews about this, I need to say no more. But it's based around people trafficking, and uh, there's enough in here. If you give that to a non-Christian friend, it's for Christians, but if you give it to a non-Christian friend, there's enough gospel in there to lead anybody to Jesus. Someone say amen. amen. And so what would happen if you left four Bibles, it's called four, four Bibles around Cambridge, just on a seat, anywhere in McDonald's or in a park or by the university or wherever, and then people's lives are changed because of getting hold of the Scriptures, changes their life, and then they all gel in together by the end of the book. And if you've seen some of these views on Amazon online, you know that that is um, probably, worth, probably worth reading. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your sense of your presence here today. We thank you, Lord, for the worship that Dan has led, and he's brought us further into your presence. And now, Lord, we're coming around your word. And Father, we don't want another sermon. What we really want is God to speak into our lives in the here and now. Father, we need you to speak. Lord, I don't want to spend time moving stuff from my mind to other people's minds. Father, I pray that you've dropped something into my spirit which will resonate with other spirits and other people here today. That Father, we will be changed as a result of being here this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if there's ever a time, you know, when you're getting a bit frustrated about what's going on in your life and you think, why doesn't God do something? And we wouldn't be uh, unusual in feeling like that because people in Bible days, they felt like the psalmist, David's always going on, Lord, why am I going through this? Habakkuk, uh, in what's called Habakkuk's complaint, Lord, how is it that non-believers seem to have a better life than believers do? Uh, They get stuff going on, they're more prosperous, and then you've got... You know, in Habakkuk 2 verse 1, he says, I stood upon my watch and I looked, and then God gave me some revelation. Uh, David says, Lord, I I, I can't, why are you allowing when I'm trying to serve you so much bad stuff to be going on? I just can't believe it. And then he said, I looked, uh, he goes into the psalm and he said, I looked a bit further and he said, I went into the house of God and I saw the wicked, he said, and I understood their end. 
I understood their end, whatever I'm going through. But people do say that. In fact, sometimes in Isaiah, actually, people say almost, I, I would almost say it's almost blasphemous, some of the things. It's not, but it, it's just expressing how they feel. See, one of the reasons I love the Scriptures is it's an honest book. The Bible's an honest book, isn't it? Yeah. It really tells the truth. In fact, of all the major characters in the Old Testament, there isn't one of them that didn't have a struggle. Uh, and it mentions problems in everybody's life. I mean, you take about David, you talk about Noah getting drunk, you go, oh, you go through the whole lot. It's only Daniel who is a major figure of which it says nothing negative, but he wasn't perfect. But in Isaiah, you get things like, Lord, make bear your arm in my situation. Now, that sounds very spiritual, make bear your arm. But what that means is, Lord, it's time for you to pull your sleeves up. And then you get this lovely spiritual language, dear Lord, Remove your hands from the folds of your garments. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? What that means, God, when are you going to take your hands out of your pockets? <laughs> when are you going to do something? You're standing, I'm in a mess here, and you don't do it. Is there any foo-foo going on in that African night? Foo-foo. I'd come for foo-foo. I'd come all the way from, for foo-foo. Wow. Pringles. Hey. I, bet, I bet some people do bring. Pack your crisps. This is my contribution. Make bare your arm, roll your sleeves up, Lord. And then God speaks into, through Isaiah, through the man who's saying these words, and in Isaiah 52 and 61, and we're going to be looking at both of these passages in this session and in the next session. And if you can only get to one, I hope you can get to two, but if you can only get to one, you know, it's a self-contained message, if you understand what I mean. So you're not going to be missing out in the sense if people come to the next one. And God says, look, and people actually say, well, why don't you wake up? They're saying to God, wake up, Lord, wake up. It's like the disciples in the storm when it says Jesus was asleep in the boat. And they try to wake him up. And God says, actually, I want the church to wake up. Or in the Old Testament, I want Zion to wake up, the people of God. And he said, when you wake up, and we're going to look at waking up to our restoration and then waking up to our destiny. Why in that order? Years ago, I wrote a book, nothing to do with these books. It's only on Kindle now. It's called Release from the Snare. And on the front picture, on the front page, is a cover, is a fox. And in the intro to the book, it talks about this fox leaving a copse of trees, crossing a field to get into the wood. In the wood is the vixen and its cubs. It's not interested in the field. It's just a place to get across. Are you following me? No interest in the field. It's just a route. It's like I've got no interest in the M6 particularly, but it have because it's a route here. And so he's in the copse of woods. He's got across this open field, and he's looking forward to see the cubs and the vixen. Well, halfway through, the farmer has put an iron snare, a trap, and he doesn't know this, and he goes into it, and all of a sudden it grasps around his leg. He's in agony. Do you know what? All thoughts of his destiny are now gone. It is not thinking about the future. It's not thinking about his destination. It's not thinking where he wants to go. How do I get out of my mess? So do you see how restoration comes before destiny? Because if I'm in entrapment, if I'm in a place where I'm constrained, uh, if I'm in a place where I'm in a narrow place, it's one of the basis of the words of anxiety, uh, comes out of being trapped in a narrow place with nowhere to go forward and nowhere to go back then if I'm in that situation, it's no good talking to me about destiny. I just want out of the trap. I just want out of the mess. 
So that's why we've got to do it in that order. The Bible has a lot to say about restoration. One of the areas, we're going to come to read this passage in Isaiah in a minute, but one of the areas of um, huge picture there, analogy of restoration, is in the book of Nehemiah, of course, where the walls have been broken down. And Nehemiah has been given this role to go around and look at the areas of the city, uh, the walls where it's been sort of breached, and to work out what is it going to take to break this place secure again. See, what happens is, when we need restoration in our spirit, we get insecurities come into our spirit. We get vulnerable. We get vulnerable to doubts of the enemy. We get vulnerable to the devil's lie. And it's interesting to know what happens that when Nehemiah, we won't go into the background of, you know, of all that happened in Nehemiah 1 when he went in before the king. We won't get into that just now. But when he actually started to do something about the fact that there was brokenness in his life, the devil immediately tried to stop him making progress. And Sam Ballot came along and he said, do you know, you are too weak to make any difference in your situation. You haven't got what it takes. Anybody ever heard the devil's lie? You haven't got what it takes. You haven't got what it takes. You're too weak. It's impossible. And then when he began to build, he says, now listen, I've just watched what you're building. Actually, if a fox were to come, going back to a fox full enough, if a fox were to come and lead against this wall, it'll fall over. And so what many people do, what many believers do, because this is talking to Zion. It's not talking to the non-Christian. If you're a non-Christian today, well, you know, I really want to, you haven't committed your life to Christ, I really want to encourage you to make that step, you know, either today or get involved in that Alpha course or whatever. But this is speaking to Zion. It's speaking to the church. When we read these amazing passages in Isaiah, we're going to see it's speaking to you and me if you're a Christian today. And so what happens is we get discouraged halfway. You're quite right. I don't feel up to it. I don't feel I've got the resources. I think I'll just let it go. I think I'll just stay broken. I think I'll just stay incomplete. I won't move on. But Nehemiah didn't do that. He fought his way through the problem. You see, we need to understand, particularly as Pentecostals, actually, and Evangelicals, we need to understand, you know, the word comfort. Now, please, this is not a sexist thing at all, because, you know, there are things that God has to say to us which have a kind of feminine and a masculine feel to it. Are you following me? So hear that when I say But sometimes the comfort of God is only seen in the feminine area of comfort. So if I need comfort, this is my resource, tissues, right? Nothing wrong in tissues. We all need them sometimes. Are you following me? We need them when we feel broken. That's a place. I need some tissues. That's okay. But then there is a more masculine view of comfort. This isn't even translated in the Bible by the word comforter. It's used by the word paraclete. Okay. You know, now Jesus says, when I go, and they're all feeling very insecure because um, Jesus has told them he's going to die and he's going to, you know, he's, he's got to leave them and all this kind of thing, right? Rise from the dead, ascension, but he's leaving them. And he says, but if I go, the comforter will come. And the word comforter there is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And the, the idea of comfort there is absolutely so different to the way in the West, particularly, we understand the word. 
So I can remember when I was a little kid, uh, going out on, a, I think it was a Sunday school outing or something, and a few friends of mine, some of the boys were having a kick about uh, on this gravel area uh, when we got out of the bus and we're kicking this ball around. I fall over, somebody fouls me probably, or I foul them and I come off worse. And I, oh, my knee's bleeding. So there's this kind of little um, cafe at the side. So my mother sees me fall over. And um, he, she, she says, oh, I'm only a little kid. And she says, oh, John, oh, dear me, have you hurt yourself, love? Have you hurt yourself? And she's there, there, comforting me. That's comfort, isn't it? That's, mums, that's lovely. Thank God for mums. That's comfort. But dad walks in and he says, what's up with them? <laughs> so, she, oh, he's hurt his leg. He's, he might have some stones in it. I can remember to this day that this was a cafe and round by the, on the bench was a bacon slicer. And my dad says, do you think you'll have to take the leg off, do you think? What do you think? And I'm thinking, hey, mom, mom, mom. He says, John, you're not going to die. Get in there. And this time, when you tack, go and try and score a few goals. Try and score a few goals. Don't just hang around crying with your mother's wife. Now, thank God for mother's comfort. Amen. But thank God for father's comfort. Because the nearest thing we have in the Bible to uh, the picture of comfort is the second in a boxing ring. Do we all understand what I mean by the second? The man in the corner, man with the towel. So imagine I'm fighting away. I'm the boxer. Perhaps years ago I might have been the boxer. And there I am fighting away. My nose is broken. My eyes bleeding. The bell goes, oh, thank goodness I can get a sit. And there's a stool here. And I sit down and I slump into the stool. There's a man on my corner. He's got a towel and he's got some water. And he doesn't say, oh, John, have you hurt your eye? Ble- and did that naughty man over there keep it? Stop it in my friend, you. He doesn't say that. He says, now, look, he says, you had a bad round there, son. Get, in the, get back, keep dancing, keep your left hand up, keep moving. You are not a loser, you're a winner. So get back. That's the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Come on. If I need restoration... That's what God's speaking to our life. It is not the feminine is wrong. We need that. The Bible says round about us and underneath us are the everlasting arms done. Round about us. And that really means the cuddle of God. Because, you know, when I see Phil, I come in there, give him a hug. Great to see a friend. But the only time my arms are round and underneath is when I'm carried like a baby. Round about and underneath, mum's carrying the baby. And we need that comfort. And when I'm, you know, one of my neighbours, the wife's just passed away and I've just done a funeral for them. And uh, he, he, he needs the kind of very much the, uh, the, the, the feminine side of comfort at that time. He's lost his wife. But you know, when we took up restoration today, I want us to get something of both of those things in our spirit. Come on, we're not a loser. We are a winner. In Jesus' name, we're going to get through this. God is on the throne. Get back in the ring. Make, score the goal if it's football. You know, win the next round because God's there. So here we are. Let's read that with that in mind. Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 61. And if you haven't got your Bible with you, just hang on in and I'm going to share it with you. Awake, awake, O Zion. So they say, God, why don't you wake up? Why don't you take your hands out of your pocket? Why don't you roll your sleeves up? God says, excuse me, how about you waking up? You need to wake up of the provision I've got for you. You know, God's not really telling them off. He's just saying, you, you, I've got stuff ready for you. And you, you know, I want to say this morning, whatever you're going through, and we're all going through different stuff. And if you're not going through it now, you will do. And if you're not going through it now, perhaps you have done. We've all go through some stuff, don't we? Sometimes it's worse than others. And sometimes, you know, 
People go through worse stuff than me, but nevertheless, God says right now, in these sessions we've got to get, look, you've got it there, amazing. What great technology we've got at the back here. I wonder if they know the next point I'm going to make, and if that'll come up first. No, that's amazing. Thank you for that. So wake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. We're going to look about that in the next service, what it means to be clothed with Christ and the difference it makes. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. That's the next service. Shake off your dust. That's this service. Sit in throne. Next service. Free yourself from the chains on your... Anybody want to come to the next service? Are you with me? All right. We're going to be there. Because you see, when we get both of these, it's like two oars. If I pull on one oar, I go around in circles that way. If I pull on that oar, I go around in circles that way. If I pull on two oars, restoration and destiny, I'm going to go forward. Because it's not all about me getting... God is not a cosmic aspirin. Hello? It's not all about me getting the there, there of heaven. It's about me getting the there, there of heaven and me getting the go, go of heaven as well. And those two things are going to come together. So, awake, awake, O church. Just clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Shake off your dust. We're going to come to that in a minute. Rise up. Set enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck. And now, wow, if I only had one sermon in the world I'd want to preach is Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Now, before I go any further, people say, I wonder what Jesus' favorite passage was. Well, he he is the word living, isn't he? So he hasn't had a favorite passage. But he went into the temple one day in Luke's gospel and they asked Jesus to do the Bible reading. Talk about being overqualified for a job, Phil. <laughs> Jesus comes to church and they give him a Bible reading. And so he, he, he said, okay, I'll do the Bible reading. What do you want? He hands them the scroll and it's this passage in Isaiah. And he stands up and he finishes in the middle of a... He doesn't read all that we read because if he had gone and read all that we're going to read, we wouldn't be here today. Do you know that? Do you know that? I'll explain why. So this is what it says. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Um, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive, release from darkness for the prisoner, um, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is where Jesus came. That is the gospel. That's why he's reading. Are you following me? The next line says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's what he's going to come to do next time. So 2,000 years have to go between that part of the sentence and the second part of the sentence. Otherwise, we don't get saved. Are you following me? Because he came as the lamb to die for us. But soon, somebody say soon, he is coming as the lion to judge. He is the Lion of Judah, and every knee will bow before him. I don't care all the mess that Parliament's in, and all the anti-Christian, and all the anti-God stuff. He, we're on the winning side, friends, I want to tell you. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but we have read the end of the book, and we do win. Right? So it's an old phrase, but it's very, very true. And, but Jesus had to stop, and he does. You read it in Luke, he stops right in the middle of that sentence. He stops right in that middle of that sentence. But we're going to move on, because this is applicable to us. And he says... To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that's today, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort. Someone say comfort. comfort. This is a restoration word. This is, the, this is the comfort. Remember the two sides of comfort we're talking about, yeah. right? Maternal and paternal. To comfort all who mourn. Now, I can't even move on before I get rid of two words. Number one, poor, because we think of poor only in the terms, good news to the poor, in money. So if I go to a cash point and put my card in and it says no balance, I'm poor. You following me? But I can be, you can be a millionaire. We can be millionaires 
And it's not cash points. You see, if I've come to the end of my resources in the bank, I'm poor. But in Manchester, where I come from, we have this phrase, you might use it around here, you get to the end of your tether. Yeah. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. In other words, you have no more resources to pull on. There's nothing else. And we've only got so much emotional energy, all of us, haven't we? We've only got so much. And when you get to a breaking point, I've got no more reserves here. That's poverty. So you can be a millionaire and poor there. The next thing you need to clarify in this, because when Jesus talks about poverty, he's also in the New Testament, he's talking about poverty of spirit, feeling very, very low, no resources. Then the word mourn, and we only think about that in terms of death. So somebody dies and we grieve and with bereavement. But the word bereavement means to have something reft from them, torn from them. So if you've gone into work and the manager says to you, or the manageress says to you, um, you're doing a great job and we love you to bits, but there's no orders and we've got to lay people off. Now, something's been torn from you when you go out of that room. You haven't died, but you're mourning. Are you following me? You go to the doctor and you've, you've found a lump where there shouldn't be a lump and, uh, and you're hoping it's just a, a, a non-malignant stuff and he tells you, I'm sorry, you're going to have to have some surgery. You walk out of that place. My wife's been through that situation with breast cancer and out on the other side, thank God. But... I tell you, when you walk into that situation, when you walk out from that office, you haven't died, but something's been torn from you. Your hopes, your expectancy. And this morning, you may not be in a mourning situation, a bereavement situation in terms of losing a loved one, or you may, but I tell you, we all know when the devil's robbed something from us. He's robbed our joy, he's robbed our peace, he's robbed... And and we're going to look... In, in the time that we have this morning, and we have got plenty of time, we're just not going to take any more time than we need, because I want God to, everybody wants to know, we want to hear what God says in the, you know, the, the Logos word, but we also need to experience God's ministry in the Rima word as well, don't we? We need God to bring something into the house again. Not there's nothing here, but we've already received so much already. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Otherwise, a waste of time. I'm a postman. That's my job. I don't... Before I'm ever a preacher, I'm a postman. Your postman delivers every letter you get, and he's never written one to you himself. Because his job is not in writing letters, but delivering somebody else's letter. He only fails when he fails to deliver someone else's word. This is not how to get restored and how to get new destiny via John Glass. Waste of all our time, including mine being here. But I am a postman bringing a word from heaven for somebody's life today. Someone say amen. So, you know, you say, oh, well, you did this in his ministry and he's read the, you've read the book. At the end of the day, Phil and I, we're all postmen. And there's postwomen here as well. We're here to deliver something from heaven. We're going to, we, so we need to receive something today. We need something through our letterbox, not just for our head, but for our heart. We're going to do that before we finish in a, in a little while's time. But we, let's move on. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Got the right word for poor now. End of your tether. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim freedom. And then God gives three wonderful miracle moments of restoration. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now, if you just hold that for a moment and think back to Isaiah 52, shake off your dust. Awake, shake off your dust. Dust and ashes are the symbols in the Bible more than any other symbol 
of being down and needing help. So the book of Job is a small book. Well, it's not small, but it's not the longest book in the Bible. But it has more instances of dust than any other book in the Bible. Because dust is, you know, in the Psalms it says, he pulled me out of the dust and he sat me with princes. So dust and ashes were slightly different. We're going to come to them in a minute. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that we will get in our spirit what you will minister to us in a few moments by your word, Lord, in this area and do us good. So let's look back. So dust are in both dust and ashes. They're in both of those things. And a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Now, there's a whole load of other stuff in Isaiah 61. That's for the next session. We're just going to look at dust and ashes. So when I need restoration, then why do dust and ashes got, have got anything to do with me? Two words, very similar, but quite different. First of all, let's look at ashes. Our, Marilyn and I, we live out in this little village in the Cotswolds. And so we do have central eating, but we have got a log fire in the winter. And we haven't got any street lights, so we haven't got pavement. But it's, um, we live out of there, and we live in the country, which is good. So I have to clean out, not quite yet, probably about the end of October, November. I'll be cleaning out every day the ashes. Let me tell you something about ashes, in case I don't need to tell you, you know. It is impossible to have ashes unless you once had a fire. Am I right? Because ashes is what's left when the fire's gone out. And when the fire goes out in our spirit, when we lose our song, when we lose our joy, when we begin to come to church and your faith, and there's people in this house, not a word of knowledge, it's a law of averages. There's people in this place here this morning who are faithful in their attendance, you're faithful in your financial giving, you're faithful uh, in your testimony at work or school or wherever you are, university, whatever, you're faithful, but I tell you, you've lost your joy. The fire's gone out. You're not a bad person. Restoration is not all... There is a restoration. If I'm sinning, I need to stop sinning. I mean, that's not hard, is it? Well, it is sometimes... You see, a lot of the things in the Bible are easy to understand but hard to do. So if you don't need me or Phil or anybody else to say, your Holy Spirit told you you shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't be thinking that, shouldn't be going that direction. The answer is not 45 Bible study. The answer is stop. Right? A big theological moment there. Stop. But most people who have ashes as believers, and we're talking honestly to believers here, they're not bad people. They're just beaten up on the road of life. They're just beaten up. And they've come to the end of their resources. Spiritually, they're putting the cash card in. There's nothing there left. How many people know that when that happens, we lose our authority? Prayer becomes hard. I don't come boldly before the throne of grace. I just say, God, if you're there, please help me. Which is not boldness of a lion, is it? But do you know what the good news is? He restores our soul. And when he takes his nail-scarred hand and removes away the ashes of a fire that's gone out in our witnessing, in our worship, in our joy... When he does that, 
we get a crown back. We get a crown back. We get authority back. We get the ability to praise back. Not to sing. We can sing. Danny, we can all sing the right words in the right tune, but our heart could be anywhere, couldn't it? Worship people who gifted and leaders into worship, they know this. Because they don't take it for granted that because we've got our hands in the air, that our spirits are lifted. Because, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm quite exterior in my worship. I'll raise my hand. And, you know, I've done anything before the Lord. But we've got to, I've got to be careful that I don't enter into some kind of charismatic choreography. If I go some motions, it's a reflection of what's going on inside me. We can do all the right stuff and be dying inside. Right? We can be talking fire and living ashes. We can be singing fire and living in the smoke. You see, the great thing about the honesty of the Bible, the great things about the honesty of God, the great thing about the honesty of the people in the Scriptures, they said, God, this is a mess, and I don't understand what you're doing in my life. And God doesn't strike them down by lightning. He understands our heart. And he brings us lovingly to a place of restoration. God just giving me a word for someone now. I don't know who it is. I couldn't point you out. But it's the picture of the lamb. You know, remember the story of the, um, uh, of the hundred sheep? And one of them wanders away. And they get into a mess. And, uh, you know, there's 99. Jesus leaves the 99 to look for the one. That's what a great shepherd he is. When he found the one who had wandered away and got himself or herself into a mess. When we wander away from God, we get into a mess. When I'm in a mess, it doesn't always mean, I, actually say, I would say nine times out of ten, it's not my fault. You know, it's just the pressure of life and stuff that's going on. But occasionally, I'm in a mess and it's my fault. Right? We're all in a mess and it's our fault. Most times it's not. But this lamb, it was in a mess. And it had broken its leg. So it's not much use back in the fold because no butcher is going to buy it. But Jesus is a shepherd, not a butcher. And the Bible said he didn't drag it back. Why have you wandered away? If you need restoration for that reason, he carried it on his shoulders. Come on, let's give the Lord a mic. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're the God of the second chance. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Where would any of us be today if it wasn't for your grace and your mercy, Lord? Restoration. The comfort of the Holy Spirit will carry me when I cannot even walk back into the situation. And so we're going to be praying in a moment or two for those that have had the fire. You know, you used to... Get onto a plane or on your holiday or a business or whatever, or you get into a bus and a coach going somewhere, and you used to say, God, before I get on this bus, I just pray the person sitting next to me will be open to the gospel. Yeah. Now you get on saying, God, I hope I get a free seat so I can stretch my legs. That's not evil, it's just the fire's gone out a little bit there. Hey, that's a tiny thing. When you come to church, it's a struggle to get into worship. Right now, the second and final thing we're talking about, we're going to move from ashes now to dust. In, in, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 10, it says these words. Jesus said, when you go into a town and they reject you, shake the dust off your feet. I've just done a series, 12-week series on TBN, you know, Christian television. 
So if you've seen that program, I do mention it on this program. So forget anybody saw that program on TBN, we need to do some more promotion of my programs, obviously, on TBN. So, so I'm glad in a way because it means no one's heard what I'm going to share before. What we've got here, and we're going to close this part, we're going to close the message down in a moment so we can get into receiving from God. Remember what we've heard, if the fire's gone out, you've got ashes. And the answer is not to put your crown on top of your ashes. The answer is to get your ashes removed so the crown can come back. We're going to talk more about crown in the next meeting because it has to do with positioning and moving to the place God has put us. Something I did speak in a different context last time I was here, 18 months ago. I'm not going to go into that area. Now let's get the picture then as we close this part off before I believe God's going to meet with us again. And we're going to say what was happening when Jesus said this in Mark chapter 6. What was happening was he was giving them the rules that he wanted them to hear, guidelines, when they started presenting the message of the kingdom. Now they're excited. I'd be excited. I am part of Jesus' core team of 12 people, disciples. And he's going to tell me, we're going to kick it off today. It's going to be awesome. And we are going to be going into a town. And we just believe everybody's going to get saved, as we'd say. Everybody's going to come into the kingdom. It's exciting. And so Jesus says, I've got some guidelines for you. And I'd be thinking, if the way I wind up, well, don't talk to me about guidelines. I just want to do the business. Let's get into it. Let's get into the work. Let's do the real stuff, the good stuff. But anyway, he keeps in quiet. He says that. So they go into the first town. Let's imagine, we don't know what the first town was, but imagine there's a hundred houses there. There's a hundred houses. And a street with, let's go into a street, 50 houses either side. Just a little word coming here for somebody who's discouraged that you're witnessing and you're not seeing any fruit. If you go to an outreach into a street in Cambridge with a hundred houses, and no one responds to the message but one, and one person becomes a Christian. When you get back, and Phil says, how did you get on in that street you're in of 100 people? You said there was only one decision. I've got news for you. There were 100 decisions. No is a decision. I've got friends, non-Christian friends, people in my village, actually, that I have presented the gospel to several people, how they get saved. Now, some of my neighbors have found Jesus in the past, but some of my neighbors haven't found Jesus. Every one of them I've shared my faith to, and they're friends as well. They're not just targets for my evangelism, they're friends. And sad to say, every one of them have made the decision, but some of them have made the wrong one. It's our job to be faithful. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and convert. We're to tell them it. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. If you tell the message and you do it in love and grace without pointing fingers, if you do it in love and grace, God will be there for you. But let's imagine then they go into this place and Jesus knew this would happen. You see, Jesus knows before we do that however much faith and excitement, however pumped up we are, we're not always going to get it our own way. It's life. It's a struggle. So let's imagine they go in the first place and every single door slams it, slams it in their face. Slam, 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 a hundred times. Jesus didn't say in Mark 10, 6 verse 10, when they reject the gospel, shake the dust. He said, 
when they reject you. Because if I've had a hundred doors slammed in my face, I don't feel the gospel's rejected. I feel rejected. I feel rejected. So what does John Glass do normally in a situation? What what have I done? Because obviously pastors are people and pastors need to learn. and We're all disciples, aren't we, together? So often when I've gone through a negative situation... Uh, the way I'm wired up, northerner, way I'm wired up is, oh, well, that didn't work very well. Never mind, we'll go to the next place and just get on with the job and do it all again. And that's me. It's the way I'm wired up. I won't have a pity party. Uh, I'll just get on with it. Bad news. Bad news. That is not the way to do it. Why is that not the way to do it? Because we're not talking about evangelism here. We're talking about something a lot bigger. Wait five minutes. To see where we get to. I've had a hundred doors slammed in my face. So what John Glass does in the past, I hope I've learned my lesson. What I do in the past, I say, oh, well, there we are. We, that didn't work. So let's go to town B. And uh, we just start off. So now we come here and I do a doors here, hundred streets, hundred houses. Now listen, when I was here getting a commission from Jesus, I thought everybody in the world was going to get saved. Then he had a hundred doors slammed in my face. Now I've come to people who have never met me. When I hit the first door, what am I expecting? Come on. Something to be slammed in my face. Why? Because I never expected it here. So why am I expecting it there? Because these may be people who can't wait to get saved. But what have I done? I've carried something from my yesterday that has polluted my tomorrow, destroyed my faith, and now I'm not in a fit state spiritually to do the business. And we do this all the time. We get hurt, we have brokenness, we have stuff that happens to us, and we say, oh, well, you know, brush it up, you know, go on, get on with the job. But then when we move into the next situation, and God says, listen, He didn't say, if you get a stone thrown at you, then put it to one side. He said, I want, before you move on to that place of pain and hurt. So forget evangelism for a minute. Are you with me? From the place of pain and hurt. Don't be looking for pebbles and rocks even. Looking for dust. When you move on to a place of restoration, when you walk into the next place, the next situation into your tomorrow, I don't want you to take any of yesterday's pain from yesterday into your tomorrow. Wow. I want you to walk in with clean feet. You see, if you were an inspector going into Chernobyl, you know, the big explosion of the, that happened all those years ago. You walk away and say, well, I can't wait to get out of this horrible place. You know, when people are dying, cancer, goodness knows what's going on here. Let's get home. You can't just jump on a plane. You have got to be decontaminated. <laughs> you have to go through a process. You have to have people with rods all over you. No, there's you know, still some there. Do you know what the Holy Spirit needs to do on some of our lives this morning? He needs to put a, what do you call those detectors? Radi- radiation down. Radiation detectors. He needs to put it against our spirit and say, what's all this crackling? That crackling is what happened to you years ago, months ago, weeks ago. And you've still got it on your spirit. And if you walk into tomorrow with all that stuff, you're going to contaminate your future, which is that moment is pure. Wow. wow. 
Your destiny is pure. Your destiny is yours. It's your inheritance. And you're going to spoil your inheritance. That's why we've got to talk about restoration now and later talking about destiny. Because we walk into destiny with radioactive hurt. What's going to happen is we're going to contaminate our future. So he says, get the dust off your feet. So you come around to my house, me and Marilyn, drop by, driven a distance, and we offer you, a, like I was offered a cup of t- a coffee as soon as I got in here. Just hospitality. In Bible days, what they did was they didn't um, make you a cup of tea. First thing would happen is there would be somebody by the door, servant, people had servants and things, and there'd be a big pot of water there, a big thing of water this big, and they'd wash your feet. And it wasn't a spiritual thing. It was, you've not come in a car. You've come in open sandals on a dusty road. And you're going to be coming into this situation now, into our house. There's two things. One, I think it's the people who own the house are a bit worried you're going to bring the dust in. right? But they're also thinking of you. You must be awfully tired and all this dust on your sandal. Let somebody wash it off. You see, that's that's what they do. When we come into the presence of God... And we sing and say the right things. If I've got dust on my feet, I cannot worship as I want to. I've got pain in my heart. And I'm going to say, friends, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I totally, it's pointless being less than honest. It's easy to say it, it's hard to do. Because some dust really sticks on our feet. It's not a case of... It's a case of big, big stuff. But you know the good news is, God wants every one of us this morning to walk into our destiny with clean feet. We're going to go into the rest of this, as I say, later on. But right now, we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And quite honestly, the Holy Spirit wants to do a lot because... Wouldn't, the postman wouldn't have brought a word from the Lord unless the Lord was going to honour his word. Let's stand and just stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.